uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Uh, why don't we stand one more time, we'll pray, and we'll get into the message. Uh, you're going to want to bookmark uh, that text. We will be reading it. Uh, as you know, uh, we have uh, the scriptures up on the screen when we do read them, uh, but whatever uh, Bible translation you have with you this morning, you can follow along. Again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-10. through 10. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for uh, the reality of who you are. You are our Savior you are our God. We're so thankful uh, that we can come before you this morning, that uh, nothing inhibits us, Lord, that uh, we don't have to uh, uh, have somebody represent us, but we can come to you uh, directly to praise you, to worship you, to, to lay all of our needs and requests before your feet. We're so thankful for the relationship that we have with you and can have with you. We pray this morning that as we get into your word that you would instruct us uh, Lord, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would help us to get something out of your word this morning and just uh, to be inspired. And so, Lord, just have your way. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. All right, so uh, for the last few weeks, uh, we've been doing this series called Bible or Not, right? Uh, we stated that our goal was to look at certain phrases that sound biblical uh, uh, and maybe hold some truth and yet all on their own, the phrases don't tell the whole story. And so the first week we looked at everything happens for a reason, all right? The second week we got into God helps those who help them, all right? And then last week we talked about God won't give you more than you can if you missed any of those messages, you can check them out anytime on our website uh, at crosspointchurch.me. That is it. And so uh, with last week fresh on our minds, uh, we stated that the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is both untrue and unhelpful. We, we unpacked that. We talked about that. See, if God gave us uh, what we could, uh, if God gave us what we could handle, why in the world would we need him? If God only gave us what we could handle, we wouldn't need him. We also showed you how the, the statement was uh, not actually found in the Bible like many of the other phrases. And for many people, that phrase was basically based on a misunderstanding of a scripture, right? Uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse uh, 13 uh, where it talks about God uh, not allowing you to be tempted beyond what you are able to endure, but that he provides for a way of what? Anybody remember? A way of escape, right? So, so we said that in context, the temptation that it's talking about in that verse was not actually talking about trials and suffering, but that the temptation there was in fact the temptation to sin. In other words, God won't allow you to be tempted to sin beyond what you can bear or handle because he always provides a way of escape. How many of you are thankful that he provides a way of escape? Uh, we kind of had a little fun with that. We said that uh, sometimes we, we like to say, well, the devil made me do it, or if that person hadn't done this or that, then I wouldn't have retaliated or I wouldn't have taken that next step, but uh, you're without excuse just like I'm without excuse this morning. We have no excuse to sin. And God says that when we are tempted to sin, he has created a way of escape and we should take that. Listen, the hard truth is that sometimes God does give people more than they can handle. 
And we showed that actually by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, many, many examples of what Paul, the Apostle, the great Apostle went through uh, in his life. I mean, Paul suffered greatly in his earthly life and he even asked God to relieve him uh, from a thorn in the flesh three different times. How many of you have been through something and you've prayed, God, take it away? And maybe you prayed again, God, remove it. Or you prayed again, God, help me through it. I just can't handle it. That was Paul, the great apostle. And yet God reminded him that his grace was sufficient for him and for you and I this morning, that same grace is available. I'm thankful for the grace of God this morning. I'm thankful that when I go through stuff that I can't carry, that is too much for me, that I can cry out to the Lord and he can be my help in time of trouble. He can be the one who can come to the rescue. He is our lifesaver. Amen. He's a good God. And so because of the grace of God, we explain that a better phrase that we could use when someone is going through hardship, when someone is going through struggle uh, because they suffer and we suffer, a better phrase to use would be that God will give you all the grace you need in every situation that you face. Again, God will give you all of the grace that you need to go through whatever situation that comes your way. Listen, we gave you some proof of that. And again, if you missed it, go online, check it out. Listen, this week uh, in our fourth message in the series, I want to look at a, a phrase that's a little bit different than the others because not only does it sound bi biblical, in part it literally is. And see, this week our phrase is actually incomplete. And how many of you know that it matters when you hear something, if it's complete or incomplete? It matters, right? And so there's an old saying that says a half-truth is actually a whole lie. And I'm not sure I would go that far about our phrase today, but the phrase is, money is the root of all Anybody ever hear that? Money is the root of all evil. Uh, listen, I, I know that some people think it's not very spiritual to talk about money like ever. But an improper understanding about money can actually lead us very far away from God. How many of you know that? An improper understanding of money can do that. It's about priorities, isn't it? In fact, why don't you say that with me this morning? Priorities. One more time. Priorities. Let's unpack that this morning. Has anybody ever heard that phrase quoted just like that? Money is the root of all evil. What's wrong with it? Anybody see what's wrong with it? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incomplete first, right? It's incomplete. We're going to talk about that. And it's actually being misquoted. It should be the love. Say it again. The love of money. And, and, and it actually is a root. Uh, let's see exactly what the Bible says. Let's go to our text. Our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Uh, Brian, don't worry. I was holding back the tears as we were watching that, and I look at this scripture, and I think of that, that it, even as a baby uh, is being born and growing, godliness with great contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. Those small babies, they bring nothing into this world. They can take nothing out of it, and that's all of us. Amen? Verse 8 says, but if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich 
fall into temptation and a trap and into many, say many, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men to ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money, there it is. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have actually wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So first of all, I, I like to break down scripture, especially when things catch my attention. I read something, it doesn't make sense, or I want to go a little bit deeper. And so uh, in verse 6, what in the world does verse 6, what is, what is it talking about when it says godliness with great gain, with, with contentment is great gain? It means that if God has given you little, you should be satisfied. And if God has given you much, you should be satisfied with that too. See, uh, this kind of contentment and satisfaction is not based on gifts, uh, but it's based on the giver. How many of you know that God is a great giver? He is a great giver. And so in that way, godliness is actually a, a source of great gain when accompanied by contentment that comes from a sense of inner confidence that is based on the sufficiency of God. That, that's a lot of words, Pastor Freddie. I'm tired. I didn't drink enough coffee this morning. In other words, what are you saying, Pastor Freddie? In other words, God is enough. How many of you can say that this morning, that God is enough? Listen, uh, uh, as we see that, that whole phrase, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It actually it gives us more to think about. I'm, that phrase right there, that verse is right from the, from the uh, NIV uh, broken down. I think we all know people at one time or another who have wandered from the faith in whole or in part because of the love of money. Let me explain that a little bit. See, maybe they once loved God, but gold is now their God and greed is their creed. They wouldn't use that phraseology, but you can tell by their life that maybe once they came to church regularly, read their Bible regularly, they would, espouse, they would be able to boldly say, I'm a Christian, I am a follower of Christ. But somewhere along the way, they said, I, I need another part-time job, or I need a second job, or I need a third job. And, and all of a sudden at the job site, they are off overtime on top of overtime and I've heard it Pastor Freddie it's double time I, I can't turn it down Pastor Freddie I, I can't come to church anymore I can't come to Bible study anymore Pastor Freddie my family needs it my family can't make it without it you know what we can't make it what we can't make life without the blessings of God the blessings of God and again, we, we might know people who started out that way in love with Jesus somewhere along the way. They drifted. Those opportunities came. Isn't it funny that when those opportunities are coming, whoa, this is a blessing from God. Whoa, this is a great opportunity. And it might start out that way. But when your priorities are shifting, maybe you ought to question where the open door is coming from, right? There are over 500 verses in the Bible that speak about money, possessions, and greed. But this morning, I want to break it down in a simple kind of way. And so the ABCs of money, the ABCs of money is what we're going to look at this morning to help us better understand why our phrase as it stands is wrong and how it, uh, uh, the full scripture in context is right. And so letter A, if you're writing down notes this morning, letter A, acknowledge that money is not evil. Acknowledge that money is not evil. How many of you know that money is not evil? 
Uh, if I had some dollar bills this morning, I would wave them in front of you and say, this $20 bill, this $100 bill, this $1,000, it is not evil. Money in and of itself is an evil. It's merely a way to exchange value. And so, uh, see, for generations, the only kind of exchange was bartering. People once traded one valuable possession or a skill for another. Later, when governments got into commerce, into the commerce business, they made coins that represented value. And most valuable coins were made of gold or of silver, which were, were considered valuable in themselves. In this country, we actually at one time had a gold standard. If, uh, if any of you are history buffs out there, you know that at one time the, the, the money that we had in this nation was equivalent to the gold that we had, and then along the way, we got into funny money. Today, the value of paper, paper currency is based on the ability of, of a, a government's treasury to guarantee that value, and this is a loaded subject this morning. We're not going to go uh, deep into it, but the, the, the value of the dollar is not what it once was. How many of you can say amen to that? The value of the dollar is not what it once was. And when governments collapse, the value of their currency drops. And listen, that's very basic. But to really understand money, we need to understand two things. Uh, again, the first thing that we said is that acknowledge that money is not evil. But the two things we need to understand is that money is simply a tool. Say tool. I like having a lot of tools. I like having the ability to do things. Money is simply a tools. It can be used as a tool for good or a tool for bad. William Barclay wrote, wrote, money in itself is neither good nor bad. It is simply dangerous in that the love of money may become bad. With money, a person can selfishly serve his own desires. And with money, he can generously answer to the cry of his neighbor's need. Listen, if money in and of itself is not evil, and if money is a tool, it is not a bad thing to say, Lord, bless me with more money so that I can use this tool for the furtherance of your kingdom. How many of you know that? That's good. Amen? That's good. And so money is like a shovel when we're talking about being a tool. A shovel, we know that it is a, a very useful tool uh, in your garden. You can use a shovel uh, to dig a hole, to, to, to plant a, a tree, or you can use a shovel to hit somebody over the head and maybe hurt them. Pastor Freddie, you're getting a little graphic this morning. Chill out. It's how, say how. How you use a shovel that determines its goodness. The same is true with money. How many of you, and listen, I don't want you to go too far into, into your memories, uh, a time when you use money for something bad. We all have maybe one or two or a dozen examples of that. Again, you can use it for good or you can use it for bad. It's simply a tool. Number two, the consuming love for money is a bad root. The consuming love, again, it's about priorities, the consuming love for money is a bad root. Uh, you know, your intentions are very good sometimes. And again, you can say, I just need to work a little extra for, to, to provide for my family. I, I just need to work a little extra so, so that I can do this, so we can go on vacation. And that's a, a good and fine motivation. But when it takes over, when it becomes a priority over everything else, when it becomes your driving force, uh, it is becoming an idol. It is becoming a bad root in your life and uh, you know the devil loves that the devil loves that 
the consuming love for money is a bad root. The three words, love of money, in the English, it, 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 it's just those words, right? But in the Greek, it's actually one word, uh, philarguros, which means fondness for silver, fondness for silver. And although the King James Version calls it the root of all evil, a better translation might say, like the NIV we read this morning, a root of all kinds of evil. We're going to explain that a little bit. See, the love of money is bad, but it's not the only, it is not the worst evil in all the world, it's just one of them. And so first, remember, uh, A stands for acknowledge that money is not evil. In fact, money is actually morally neutral. A dollar bill cannot slap you across the face and tell you to go sin. A $10 bill cannot uh, take your life and turn it upside down and, and uh, destroy your families, the decisions and the choices and the things that you do along the way. Money is morally neutral. But if you're consumed by the love of money, it can produce some really bad fruit in your life. And so B, B beware of possession obsession. Possession obsession. Uh, what do you mean by that, Pastor Freddie? Listen. Let's face it, it's not money that people love. It's the thing that money buys. All of that stuff, right? All kinds of sayings in our culture. Old by now, maybe you've heard it. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. False, 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 amen. And yet if we look at our culture and we look at what is being branded uh, all over media and advertised all over the place, you are seeing the acquisition of all kinds of stuff and things and, and things that maybe uh, you in your life, you could say this one thing I wanted and I thought it would bring me joy. And Pastor Freddie, wouldn't you know it, the next week after I bought it, it broke. The next week, uh, I bought it and it lost its value. A car, you know what? You save, you want, you desire. And listen, this was my sin at one time. In the spring, I would get spring fever, drive by every parking lot and look at my jalopy or my hoopty and say, I want a new car. And some of you know what I'm talking about because maybe you still do it. You need a new car every year. You, you maybe are looking at the house you're living in and it's not quite the house you'd like. It's maybe not your forever home and so you begin to look and you begin to dream and that's okay in perspective that's okay in moderation knowing that God is a good provider how many of you know that God is a good provider Listen, he doesn't want you living in squalor and he doesn't want you maybe driving that hoopty forever. And I remember the first time I got a new to me car and I was happy after letting go that thing that would leave me on the side of the road. God blessed me in that way. But one thing I did not do is turn that thing, transition it into an idol. See, I, I had that at one time. I had that vehicle that I, every day to the car wash, every day to shine and, and make it look beautiful. Uh, but like today, days like today, guess what comes? The pollen. You go to the parking lot and go to get your groceries and, and some fool opens their door and they think that your car is something to be banged on. And all of a sudden you've got your first ding or your first scratch and get over it. It's just a thing. Park in the boonies if you don't want any of that. It's just stuff. 
When your life is driven by a desire to have more and more stuff, you can suffer from possession obsession. I want you to hear this. I like this. See, Americans are notorious for spending money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. We spend money uh, uh, that we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Listen, this obsession with getting more and more is exactly what the Bible warns against. Paul even writes in verse 9 that people who are driven by a desire to get rich fall into a trap. It's the money trap. Side note, listen, there are a few money myths that that catch people in the money trap too, and I want to quickly highlight three of them. Money myth number one, more stuff will make me happy. More stuff will make me happy. True or false? Some people think if they just had a little, a little bit more money, a few more possessions, it would just make me happy. Why is it then that the highest divorce and suicide rates are among rich in, the, in our society? If money can buy happiness, why uh, is it that the movie stars and the rock stars, uh, you know, if you talk to them privately, many of them will say, this is just stuff. I thought to acquire this was going to be the ultimate, but I feel so depressed and I feel so alone and I feel so just and and we might look at them and say but how you've got so much stuff you can get anything you want imagine being able to go to any store and not have to look at a price tag but it doesn't bring happiness in fact those people are sometimes uh, the most messed up right in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 uh, Jesus said watch out Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, your net worth can't really be measured in dollars and cents or possessions. In fact, the best things in life are not things at all. The greatest thing you'll gain in this life is true heart-to-heart relationships. And listen, money can't buy those. Uh, One day, you know, if you are in that place where you are in the last moments of your life, I can guarantee many things that you won't say. But one thing I can guarantee that if you are on your deathbed one day, you will not look out at everyone out there and say, I just wished I worked another shift of overtime. I just wish we had never gone on that last family vacation. Your net worth is not valued in dollars and cents. Relationships. And money can't buy those, not real ones. Money myth number two, I deserve it, so I want it now. Say now. I deserve it, so I want it now. You've heard me say this before. We are the fast food generation, if we ever seen one. Listen, I like to go through the fast food uh, just like many of you do. And uh, sometimes fast food isn't fast. In fact, if it takes more than five, do- five minutes to get your value meal, you are starting to kind of uh, get a little uncomfortable and you've got things to do. The whole point of going through this drive through after all, was to save on time. It was supposed to be fast. This is not fast. It is six minutes. <laughs> Who takes six minutes to cook fries? 
I deserve it. I want it now. Older parents and grandparents remember rationing in World War II when everyone, everybody had to do without many of the luxuries of life. It wasn't easy, but that generation created the concept of deferred gratification, the, the generation that came after. But listen, that's a concept that our modern uh, society has kind of gone away from. Basically, if you didn't have the money, you don't buy it, right? If you don't have the cash in, in an envelope somewhere uh, that you've been saving for, and you know what, now I have the money, and that's gone away. You see, it's an easy credit generation. It has encouraged people to buy now, pay later. Americans are drowning in an ever-growing debt, sea of debt, and yet the only ones getting rich are the credit card companies. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Credit card debt makes you a slave. Did you just say that in church? Pastor Freddie, you're mean. You don't like us. The truth is the truth is the truth. Amen? And it's not my truth or your truth. It's the truth. Money myth uh, number three. More money will end all of my worries. More money will uh, True or false? Some people think that if they just had a little bit more money, they wouldn't be so worried. Wrong. Money and all that it brings just might actually add to your worries. And see, the more debt that you have, the more you end up worrying about paying it off. And the more possessions you have, the more you worry that someone will take them or steal them. And that's why Jesus said, don't store up treasures, treasures for yourselves on earth where thieves break in and they steal. Listen, a son bought a handgun for his 75-year-old mother because there was an increase of robberies in the area. And after she got training and a gun permit, all that stuff, she started actually carrying that gun, hoping that she would never, ever have to use it. But a few days later, as she was walking in the mall parking lot, she was shocked to see three strange young men actually sitting in her car. And remembering her training in that moment, she dropped all of her packages. She pulled her gun out from her purse. She spread her feet and used both hands to steady and to aim that gun. And then screaming at the top of her lungs, she told the men, I have a gun. I know how to use it. Get out of my car. The three men jumped out in a flash. They ran like crazy, feeling shaken but very proud of herself for her training. She put her packages in the back seat and after taking a deep breath, she got in the driver's seat only to discover that the key wouldn't turn the ignition. Upon further inspection, she noticed that her car, identical to the one she was sitting in, was actually parked three spaces down. And so she loaded her packages back up and got into her own car and drove to the police station to report her mistake. 
When she reported this to the sergeant, he started cracking up, laughing, pointed across the room where three young men were frantically pointing at her, identifying her as the elderly carjacker. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 12, 22 and 23, do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He goes on to say in verse 30 and 31, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given you as well. I'll say another, transla another translation says, seek things will be added unto you. And and so the people who seek riches are obsessed with possessions and they worry all the time about them. But those who seek God don't have to worry because God has promised to provide all of the necessities of life with peace. And there's nothing like the peace of God. Again, A is acknowledge that money is an evil, it's neutral, it's only a tool. B, beware of a, a possession, obsession. And C, contentment is the antidote for financial worry contentment. Listen, you want to worry in your life. You want to work yourself up. Don't, don't follow this advice, but if that's what you want, you want to be worked up, worry about what the Joneses have or worry about what the Johnsons have or, or, or desire what they have or desire what they have. Listen, that will bring you worry and turmoil. And can I just promise you will probably never be satisfied. Contentment is the antidote for financial worry. We've already mentioned the value of contentment with great, great gain and the, and the awesome idea that whether you have a little or a lot, God is truly enough. But in verses 6 through 8, the Bible gives the antidote for financial worry and greed. It says, but godliness with contentment. Say contentment. One more time, contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Listen, I'm getting excited. We're going to do a study here in the near future on eternity, uh, your forever home. Eternity your forever home. And, and listen, it, it's spelled out that way because if you're here this morning, you know that you're, there are two destinations to spend eternity and your decision in this life will decide where your forever home will be. We're going to talk about that. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The reality is that God provides everything anyways. And whether you have little or whether you have a lot, you can have peace and not worry about it. God's going to take care of me. Now, I don't have to worry about what they have. I don't have to worry that, that they're getting ahead faster than I am. Listen, I'm not on their track. I'm not in their life. I haven't paid the dues that they have paid. God has me on my track and God has blessings for me and God has a future for me. And if I'm obedient and if I love him and if I keep him first, he's gonna take care of me and he's gonna take care of you without worry. 
people are looking and searching for something, something in this world and they're not satisfied. I've said it before, there is a God-shaped hole in your soul that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Again, one reason that many are searching and not satisfied is because many of them are looking for happiness and possessions. Solomon, how many of you know who Solomon is in the Bible? We know that he was the wealthiest and the wisest man in all of history. He observed in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. If you read Ecclesiastes, you see that phrase over and over again, chasing after the wind. For many, the American dream uh, to make more so you can buy more is like chasing after the wind. You can never catch it. In fact, let me know when you catch the wind. Let me know when you catch on to the weather. Some of you want to catch on to, to 80 degrees and sunny skies and a good breeze. Listen, when you catch it, let me know. I like that too. I visited San Diego once and was like, so this is what heaven is going to be like. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, I, I don't know. Some of you are like, nope, Pastor Freddie, 30 degrees. Jason, Jason loves the winter. Jason loves the snow and the cold. Listen, it's chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind to try and gain riches, to try and accumulate to try and, and get all of this stuff. You're never satisfied. You're always going to want more. Contentment means you are resting in an attitude that God is going to meet your needs. Contentment is believing that God is going to make sure that you do not starve to death and that you have clothes to wear to keep you warm in your life. See, people who are greedy, again, are never satisfied with the simple pleasures of life. They're always looking for what they don't have rather than appreciating what they do have. That's the truth. And a Harvard MBA grad went on a weekend vacation to one of the a beautiful Mexican resorts on the Baja Peninsula. At the dock, he saw a Mexican fisherman uh, uh, selling yellow fin tuna. And he asked the fisherman how long it took him to catch those fish. And only a couple hours, the fisherman said, why don't you fish a little longer uh, to catch a lot more fish? He said, because this is all I need to sell and support my family, he said. What do you do with the rest of your time, the man asked. Oh, I'm very, very busy, senor. I sleep late. I fish a while. And then I go home. I have lunch with my wife, Maria. I take another siesta. And then I play with my children. And then after dinner, I play my guitar with all of my amigos. The MBA grad said, I could tell you how to make more money. See, tuna is a hot commodity right now. Just fish a little longer and you can make enough profit to buy a newer and bigger boat. And then you can buy a fleet of boats. And then with your profits, you could open up your own fish processing plant. And how long will that take me, senor? Oh, probably 20 or 30 years, replied the, the grad. And, and then what, senor? Then you could open your, your own office and supply other cities. Eventually, you can open other offices. And when you're going strong, you can announce an IPO and, and take your company. And you would make millions. And then what would I do, senor? Then, my friend, you'd be set for life. You could retire to a coastal village and sleep late, fish a little, have lunch with your wife, Maria, take a siesta and play your guitar with your amigos. 
Hmm. Sound familiar? Why do people run around working so hard every moment of every day, worried, neglecting family and relationships to get ahead when the Bible says that it's just chasing the wind? Worship team, come. Listen, maybe it's because they have a toxic love for money and things that money can buy. And listen, yet learning to be content is the antidote to this poisonous sickness. You see, the real key to contentment is that only, say only. One more time, say only. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will ever satisfy you fully. We need to hear that this morning and every day. Jesus is enough. Moms, Jesus is enough. Dads, Jesus is enough. Families, Jesus is enough. You need to get that. You need to get that. You need to make that your own. Because, uh, again, the reality in this world is that you will get pulled here and you will get pulled there. And all of a sudden, a possession, obsession comes your way. And you have an opportunity to go more, to do more, to earn more, to, to be gone more, to go here and to go there. And, and to keep yourself busy and to try to acquire more and to get here. Listen, I'm not talking about that when it's in balance. When you put Jesus and his kingdom first. When you can say, you know what? After Jesus, my family is my priority. Again, from your deathbed, you're not going to say, man, I wish I had worked 10 more hours of overtime. Man, I wish I had, I had taken that promotion and that was going to keep me from home 90% of the time. And, and so my family, my young children were only going to see me for a little bit and, and they were going to wonder who their father was or they were going to wonder who their mother was or, or what their foundation was because you were not there to make the difference that God has called you to make. You have a calling on your life. And in that calling, Jesus is enough. Eddie Rickenbacker was a World War I flying ace. In 1942, he was on a plane that ditched into the South Pacific. He and six other men floated on, on a raft three weeks before any rescuers ever found them. And after the emergency drinking water was all gone, they were consumed with thirst. And sadly, listen, they imagine being surrounded by millions and millions of gallons of water, but an, unable to drink. And on the 13th day, one of the men uh, named Alex couldn't stand it any longer, and he actually began to drink the salt water. The, his companions, they, they tried to stop him, and but he forced the water into his parched mouth. And at first, listen... At first, his thirst was quenched momentarily, but then his thirst returned worse than ever before. Alex soon died. See, drinking salt water doesn't quench your thirst. It only intensifies it. A love for money and possession obsession 
is like drinking seawater. It might feel good in the beginning, but you're never ever satisfied. You're only going to want more and soon it's going to destroy your life one way or another. Let's get it straight this morning. Is money the root of all evil? Of course not. Is the love of money the root of all evil? Not really. The Bible does say though that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Because if you truly love money, you can't love God. If you truly love money, you can't love God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I hope, Lord, that if we leave with nothing else, that we understand that, Jesus, you are the only priority. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, it doesn't matter what the world throws at me as far as temptation of what comes our way, but Lord, you are the one we worship. You are the one we live for. You are the one we pursue. God, help us to keep you in your prior priority spot. Number one, help us to focus on your plan and your calling in our lives. To love you with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Touch every life. Touch every family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship and close out. Hallelujah.